Hey, Graham. Yes. Uh, I got a joke for you. Believe it or not, I have a joke for you. I believe you. What do you call a fake noodle? A fanoodle. I don't know. What do you call it? An impasta. Oh, uh, that's... Come on. That's something. That's definitely a joke. Um... Does it reach the level of a five? I like how you did the, like, that accent was, was pretty funny. An impasta. An impasta. An impasta. All right, we'll give it a, let's give it a four. I have it on good authority that a kid somewhere gave that a seven. So one, of, I'm you not a kid, has, so one of you has worse taste than the other. Yeah, that's fine. It can be me. I don't care. It's a four. Can, can you do better? David, did you hear about... The puppet who won the battle. The puppet who won the battle. I don't think I did hear that one. Mm, he did it single-handedly. <laughs> <laughs> Solid. Solid. See, I'm between a rock and a hard place. <laughs> because... Is it true that your son made this up? Uh, so he claims. So he claims. See, he if, does spend a lot of time just thinking of bad jokes. <laughs> so if if Rowan made it up, hi Rowan, then I feel like I have to give it a better score. So yeah, I'm going to split the difference. No, no, just do it on the merit of the joke. I'm going to I'm going to do exactly what you just did, and I'm just going to give it a four also because then we can tie. Okay. Just in 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 the interest of equity. But anyway, enough of the nonsense. Let's get on with the nonsense. And welcome back to Withywindle, a whimsical interactive show for kids who love stories, words, and grown-worthy jokes like the ones you just heard. That, of course, features your favorite authors and illustrators. It's part book club, part game show, and it's your weekly adventure through the wild world of wordplay. I'm David Kern. And I'm Graham Pittman. And on this week's episode, we are going to chat with author and illustrator, actually. She's both author and illustrator, Jennifer Trafton, and we had a great time. She's a double threat. She's a double threat, that's right. And in a couple minutes, I think Graham is going to tell us a little bit about who she is. Uh, before that, though, of course, uh, we've got to, you know, say hello, welcome the kids to the show. At the end of the show, we're going to do a riddle. Um, we've got to talk about snacks. We've got an email we've got to hear from one of our readers. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we've got a bunch of stuff on today's show, and it's going to be a great time. What are we What are we eating tonight? Well, yeah, we got to always got to do our snack update. Um, we have... The fruit is gone. The, f- well, the fruit has gone missing. Did you bring it home? Uh, to I get think, it to your kids? I think the bookstore troll ate it. <laughs> Little, did you know that bookstore trolls are big fans of fruit? Little known fact. I've met the bookstore troll... Uh, not a nice guy. <laughs> <laughs> I know. Who steals someone's fruit? Who takes somebody else's fruit? I yeah. want to know the answer to that question. Maybe that's something we will discover at some and point. And he, he gets to live here for free well, in the basement, and and he's still cranky. I, I got. I'm scared to kick him out. Well, yeah, I understand. I'm tro- scared to look at him. He is a troll, after all. Yeah. So a couple things we have here that don't include fruit are Reese's peanut butter cups. Which yeah. the ba- the bag of Reese's peanut butter cups says goes with literally everything. Wow, interesting. So uh, we're going to take its word for that, and we're going to try it with a podcast. I've never heard of candy being paired with things. <laughs> I just think of like Reese's going well with more Reese's, right. or like other candy. Yeah, yeah. Which to maybe that maybe that's what they mean. Like Reese's goes with literally everything, like other candy. Ice cream. It's great in ice cream. Oh, yeah, that's true. Like a milkshake with Reese's peanut butter cups. Yeah. And then I went old school and brought um, Smarties, which is just basically 
sugar and powdered paint <laughs> pressed together, I imagine. Made into discs. So in Canada... Tiny Frisbees. I grew up in Canada, and we had Smarties there, but they were not these Smarties. Yeah, they're different. They're more like M&M's, right? Like M&M's, yeah. yeah. Candy-coated chocolate. How many candies can we reference on one show without getting paid for it? That's the real question. They are the only people that get free advertisement. Who, candy? Candy. Yeah, I think, that, I think you know, that's yeah. probably fair. That's a good policy for a kid's show. I agree. So Jennifer Trafton's coming up. She wrote some really fun books and draws some really interesting pictures. Um, we're going to, of course, see a picture that, that she drew in the conversation that we had with her. But first, we, we got yeah. go to go to our readers. We've got our listeners who sent something in that we're going to read, I guess, is what we're, what we're trying to say here. All right, to the mailbag segment. We've gotten a number of drawings in that we can't really show you on the podcast. We can't really show people like drawings. The kids have sent in pictures of things they drew. Exactly. So we put out a call last time. We said, draw us what the printer machine yeah, looks like. Our, our word of the week printer machine. We've yeah. gotten three, four, five. We've gotten a lot. <laughs> Several. Keep going. Six, seven, <laughs> eight. We have nine of them. So almost, I would say 90% of our emails that we get are people answering the riddle. Mm-hmm. Which makes sense. Yeah. You know, you get yeah. to win some cool stuff yeah, you, if you get randomly picked for that. Right. And then we get we get uh, emails um, from you guys uh, telling us jokes mm-hmm. or just saying that you like the podcast or drawing Which we us. appreciate, of course. Of course, yeah. Or drawing us pictures. Uh, and then sometimes from moms saying how much they like the podcast or how much their kids like the podcast. Which we also appreciate. Yeah. There's been two emails that said that they were on a summer trip across mm. states. And they just binged. They just listened to th- all four in a row, which sounds, ooh, that sounds rough. A trip, a, binging four, four, four episodes. Four windows, yeah. 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 In a row. We're sorry. That's a lot of bad humor. <laughs> a lot. You should pace yourself. Yeah, you, you really should. For your own health and sanity. I've even heard of kids listening to an episode more than one time. I, I've heard that too. I wonder who, so it was like a few kids and then our post producer, Logan, who has to, you know, he has to, he has to listen to them a lot. You know, I feel really bad for him. Yeah. Yeah. So he's looking rough. The last time I saw him, he he was kind of shaken. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Looked like, you know, like the bookstore troll. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Wait, we've never seen them in the same room. (laughs) Logan and the troll. That is a great point. Mm. Do we know how much, whether Logan is a fruit guy? I don't. We we may have to try to figure this out this summer. I did see Logan, him with kind of... consider yourself warned. I saw him with some red splotches around his mouth the last time I saw him. It would be unusual, though. I thought it was just blood. I was like, oh, that's fine. But now that I'm thinking about it, it could have <laughs> been cherry juice. Or Logan? <laughs> Logan. On the, on the other... You know, it seems like it'd be a little weird, though, if the troll knew how to do podcast production. Yeah. I mean... He's bettering himself. <laughs> <laughs> he, he can't stay in the basement forever. That's, that's gotta, true. You know, you got to work your way out. You got to come up with some new skills. It's very true. Okay. So, Graham, who is this week's official featured email from? This is from Gabe. Hi, Gabe. Thank you for writing. He says, thanks for your podcast. It's super fun and I enjoy every minute of it. Even the puns. <laughs> the author's interviews are very informative and entertaining. The riddles are really cool challenge, and it keeps me involved. Your podcast is one of my favorites now. Oh, thank you. Plus, I wasn't even tied up by a sibling. <laughs> I listened to Withywindle completely of my own free will. Signed, now, Gabe. Well, Gabe, you, you do deserve some props. Do you think he might be protesting a little much? Usually you, when people say, 
And by the way, I wasn't tied up. <laughs> yeah. I like listened maybe to this his, by myself. Maybe his siblings made him add that. Yeah. Like they were standing behind right. him, you know, with a, with a Nerf gun. One of those ones that actually hurts when you get hit by it. Yeah. Gabe, blink three times if you're actually okay. <laughs> yeah, send us another email, you know. We need to follow up with you. But on, but wouldn't the siblings have heard that? And if he's tied up, they would oh, still... Yeah, Gabe's in trouble. Yeah, you're yeah. right. One way or the other, Gabe, you've got to somehow give us... You know, okay, send us an email and come up with your own code for us to decipher that tells us... Oh, why where are you making us do work? Where <laughs> send it to David. Yeah. <laughs> okay. We're, Gabe, you know what? We don't want to do work. You're on your own. <laughs> yeah. I don't know how old Gabe is. He didn't put it... Uh, most kids don't. Uh, I mean, if, if they're like older, over 10 or 11 or 12, yeah, yeah. I just see well, the younger kids added on there, which is, we, we love to see, know, you know, see how old you guys are. Well, Gabe, we appreciate you listening and we appreciate you writing. And if you want to be featured on a future episode as one of our emailers of the week or listeners of the week, Graham, how can people get in touch? They can email us at podcasts at goldberrybooks.com. That's correct. We got it. I got it. We're going to get it. Whew. Oh, Pod- and I meant to mention. Yes. I meant, I meant, meant to mention. You mentioned, mention. You. I mentioned, mentioned, mentioned. Uh, you probably should just mention it. What was I going to mention? <laughs> so oh, you oh, didn't mean oh. to. Me- <laughs> we, we still want drawings of the printer machine. We do. We, we do. want more. We do. More. <laughs> that's the troll. That wasn't yeah, me. That's that's right, it. right. Yeah. He's also a printer, a picture troll, <laughs> a printer picture troll. Yeah. He needs them. At the end of the season. If we give him enough, <laughs> if we give him enough pictures of he'll the printer. He'll stop eating our Twizzlers. <laughs> our no, cherries. He'll let us cherries. out of the basement. Oh, right, right. Yeah. <laughs> so, but at the end of the season, we're going to choose a couple of those drawings Oh, this is new. As yeah, I'm just saying it right now. I just thought oh, of it. Let's do it. How, does this work? I don't know. You yes. At the end of the season, we're going to choose a couple different winners Depends from different age groups, and then we're going to give them something. I don't know. We'll figure it out. A printer. We're going to give, we're <laughs> going to give them a broken printer. <laughs> what if you gave them printer ink? They could sell it for True. a lot of money. That stuff is like oil. Yeah, you know, apparently. Gold. Apparently. Well, yeah. So at the if if you send us drawings, you you will get entered. And at the end of the season, we're going to take all those drawings and we're going to choose a couple yeah. winners from the different each age groups, one winner from each age group, and we're going to send you... A pigeon. We'll send you a book attached to a pigeon. Yep. Or a pigeon you attached to a I guarantee when it will arrive. Oh, I know what I meant to mention. <laughs> what? <laughs> Was our uh, Instagram account. Oh, so yeah. So a lot of kids, you might not have one. Your parents might. Um, so if they do, they can follow us at goldberry and then underscore which is like a long line that goes on the bottom of the line it's like it's on the ground yeah on the ground goldberry underscore studios and at goldberry underscore studios instagram is where we're going to post these pictures so you guys can see we've already posted a couple of pictures that the um the authors have said the author the yeah so if you want to see jennifer trafton's image that she drew while we were interviewing her you got to go over to Goldberry Studios Instagram to yeah. actually see that. And maybe if you just type in Goldberry Studios in the little search bar, it would probably come up. Probably. It's it's the profile f- uh, image is green with a G. A, like a gold G. So. A gold G, yeah. All right, well. Oh, wait. Before we get on to this book, I had a question. Y- yes. You know, sometimes I just sit around thinking of things. <laughs> like most people. Yeah, you right, know, daydreaming. Daydreaming. My phone died. You know, <laughs> I just sat. I was just sitting. The end of the world right there. Our books made out of wood now hear me out think about this okay like listen listen okay all right so 
I am a gram, right? But I'm also so you say a man, and mm-hmm. I'm also a person. Mm-hmm. So there's like you know I'm 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 multiple things at once. Mm-hmm. Is a book a book is made out of paper? Mm-hmm. Paper is made out of wood. Can we just jump a step? Is it a, like can you say can you pass me my wooden book and you'd actually be it would be true like. Can you? Some people shouldn't look at you strange. They'd be like, "Okay, yeah, here, sure, here's your book." You could just say, "David, could you pass me my words on wood?" Words on wood. Yeah, maybe it's maybe we should be sponsored by Words on Wood. <laughs> <laughs> it's just a question. I'm not. I mean, I, maybe I'd like to know the answer. Well, so paper, yeah, is made from trees. It's made from pulp. Well, pulp ground up yep. tree yep. wood. And then sometimes books that are hardcover are actually made from cardboard. So it has the word board in it. Yeah. So we're getting even closer. But then there's some books that are paperbacks and they're just made from tree. So like, I would love to like have somebody come over to my house and be like, have you seen my wooden book collection? And then they just come over to the bookcase and it's just normal books. (laughs) You know, would that be wrong? Email us and let us know. It might be a little misleading, but... Does that mean that it would be wrong? Those or are two maybe different it's things. just eye-opening, not misleading. That's true. You're, you're like changing someone's worldview practically. Yeah. <laughs> like the way of looking like, at the world. Whoa. It is a very imaginative way of thinking. Hey, speaking of that, why don't we talk about Inesbis, the Railway Children? Well, that's what that sound means. Okay, so for this week's discussion on the Railway Children, we are going to be discussing chapters 7 and 8, in which more hijinks and more heroism ensue. I was trying to think of another H word. Hijinks, heroism happen, and <laughs> oh, I see what you're yeah. saying. Hijinks, okay. that's true. Happens does begin with an H. <laughs> I thought you're trying to replace ensue with an H word. Hijinks, heroism, and horticulture. Horticultural no. happenings occur. Occur. <laughs> we're we're not very smart at this kind of stuff. I, but are we losing one of our bits? I mean, you just walked in and said chapter seven and eight, you know, it's actually chapter seventh. Oh, oh, wait, I made it such a mistake. Wait, hold what on. What a blunder. Seventh and eighth. Wait, oh, wait, those are real words. <laughs> <laughs> oh, never mind. We shouldn't have pointed this out. Okay. So heroism and what did you say? Heroism, hi- heroism and, and hijinks. hijinks. That you, sounds right. Do you remember what happens in these two chapters? Can you give us a quick uh, little summary for chap- kids who may have read it? Maybe, maybe they read the whole book at one time or maybe they haven't read it at all. Uh, chapter seven. Um, let's see. I'm actually just opening up my book here. Oh, chapter. Okay. So chapter seven, uh, the kids get recognized. Hmm. Uh, I have a question for you about this. Okay, great. Uh, So they get recognized for their heroism uh, in saving the train. Mm. And they kind of have this dialogue, this dialogue between between themselves as to whether, you know, they should they be recognized? Yeah, of course, we should be recognized. Uh, I wonder what we're going to get as a prize. It's a presentation. That means there's a present. If it's money, you can't accept it. You can't accept the money. Uh, So but they are very excited. And so they're getting ready for that. They end up going to it. Turns out the old man is there that they always see in that train. And hmm. it, he is actually like the big wig train guy over like all the lines. I think he's called like the superintendent. Yeah. yeah. So he gets up and he actually is the one that presents to them. And then uh, Peter has to get up and give a little speech, which he does. And everybody claps. Everybody's very happy for them. Um, 
And then after that, is it Phyllis or Bobby? I think it's Bobby. Bobby has the idea that she wants to speak with the old man again. And so they hand him a note. And then the next day he comes back as requested. And her idea is that maybe since he's such a, uh, like an important person, he probably knows more important people Mm. and tells them, uh, Oh, and she asks him or tells him the kind of the story of the Russian, the Russian thing. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and he recognized him because of his name. Cause he's famous. And, and so she wants to know if he can help, um, and then, of course, he does. He's able to, a couple of days later, he's able to help find the uh, the man's wife and, and child. Yeah. And he comes back to tell the man, the man's jumping up and down, but then crying and things like that. And they, mm. they leave him alone a little mm-hmm. bit. But they are all very, very, very excited about it. Uh, and then we get chapter eight. Chapter eight. Once again, the children uh, are in the right place at the right time. Uh, and so they, they go down to, uh, the water, to the canal to go fishing. Uh, once again, the water people, not super friendly. It's true. So, uh, they're trying to fish there, but one of the guys comes down on a barge, starts yelling at him. And then Peter decides to be kind of tough and, and stand his ground. But the, but the, <laughs> but the, the bargeman, uh, grabs him, uh, tells him, you know, this is my canal. Don't fish here or whatever. Um, and he's like, oh, I'm sorry. Uh, uh, but, then <laughs> oh, I'm they, sorry. but then it turns out, okay, uh, you know, they kind of make a little bit of peace. And, and he goes into town. Goes basically. into town. The wife goes into town, but they leave the baby on the barge. It was a different time. Different time. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and, and, a, and a dog on the barge. And the kids just kind of hang out for a bit. They notice smoke coming out of the barge. They run down, barge on fire. And then they and spring then into action. Spring into action again. They get in there, they get that baby. Uh, they get, they jump on the barge, they start waving flags around. No, that's not true. That was the last adventure. They um, get in there, they get the baby, and then they, uh, in the meantime, Peter gets, he gets all wet trying to get over to the barge, and yeah, Bobby's helping him, and then they get the baby and they get it over, and then Phyllis tries to put the baby to sleep while Bobby runs up to the to the town where the, the baby's mother and father are know. and yep, yep. lets them know, and then they save the day, and then the next day, the uh, the bargeman, what was his name? Bill? Bill the Bargeman? Uh, I believe so. Yeah, Bill. He takes them on a little trip as a, as a sort of way locks. of saying thanks you. That what? Through the locks. Yeah. Uh, so so a lot, there's a lot. There's a lot that a lot happens in yeah. these chapters. Yeah. So one thing that I've noticed about this is th- this book has like something big will happen. And then there'll be a little time in between, like a little, like, like an interlude kind of. You know what an interlude is? It's like... I know what an a, interlude yeah, is. Yeah, yeah, like a quiet time between action or you know, some kind of a movement in music or something like that. So it's like train crash, uh, cherry picking barge on fire, uh, dancing through the meadow. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, like exactly. Yeah. Exactly. So we get like something crazy happens, some kind of big action happens and then it's quiet. And I've noticed that that's had happening a lot in the middle of this book. Mm-hmm. Why do you think she does it that way? Uh, I, well, okay. So you're, you're talking about how she's breaking up the action a little bit. Yeah. So I think the book, um, if it was all action, might be a little overwhelming or even a little unbelievable for these mm. kids to be going through so many adventures in such a contained place. Mm. And then if it was all just kind of docile or tranquil, nobody would really want to read it. But yeah, we also would, have to remember um, that this was published in parts mm. in magazine. Oh, okay. Yeah. So each bit had to be kind of interesting enough each chapter 
It's almost like each chapter is like an episode of television. Like an episode, yeah. In fact, they in books, there's this idea that like things can be episodic. Yeah, that's so this right. It's kind of an episodic book. Exactly. It's, a good, it's actually that's it's a, a good, good thing literary to know in books. term. Yeah. yeah. How, how, there's another literary term I'd like to talk about. What's that? So I've noticed, um, actually, pretty much since the first chapter, but um, in in these chapters especially, the narrator seems to talk to us sometimes. You mean like stop telling the story and like kind of turn and. Talk, yeah talk to the audience she talks directly to us so like at the beginning of chapter seven she says i hope you don't mind mm. you being the person reading yeah my telling you a good deal about roberta the fact is i'm growing fond of her mm. the more i observe about her the more i love her so mm. do, the, do you know the term for that where the the author stops are you asking me because you want me to give the answer or because you don't know I know the answer, but I want you to, <laughs> do you know the answer? So I believe they call this authorial intrusion That's or right. something like that. That's right. Where the author intrudes upon the story. Yeah. It's a welcome intrusion because it always makes me kind of smile when I see it. Um, yeah, but do you like this? Do you like stories that do this? Like the narrator seems to know a whole lot about, uh, about, you know, yeah. what she's writing, but she's also like, it's clear the narrator is writing this book. Yeah. It's from her. Is she, it's interesting. And, she, and right? she's aware that we are reading it. Yes. I Not think, all books are like that. Yeah. I think I do like it. I think I like it, especially in, in children's books, like books that, which, I mean, this is a, this is a book written for children, but adults mm-hmm. still like it. And I think it adds a bit of like, um, what's the word? Levity. A little bit of lightness and even like levity. a little bit of, you know, it, we get the sense of humor of the author yeah, quite a bit. And I think that really, that really helps us understand the characters and, and how to think about the story. It's kind of the opposite of what the um, bookstore troll adds to our lives. <laughs> yeah, he does What's not... the opposite of levity? Downity? <laughs> Dourness? <laughs> Dampening? <laughs> Dampening? <laughs> Seriousness? Sadness? Sadness? Yeah, the sadness... <laughs> He's the sadness bookstore troll. Although he's making us laugh now, so maybe he he is actually like a sneaky levity troll. Inadvertent levity. Uh, Oh, uh, we find out early on, too, why... Like, we were asking that question the last time. Like, why is Bobby, after she actually rescues um, all these people, why is she kind of acting differently? Um, And it seems like it was really traumatic for her. Mm. She's gone through a trauma. Because it says, for many and many a night... After that day, um, Bobby used to wake up screaming and shivering. Mm. So like where they felt her brother and sister, Peter and Phyllis felt like they saved the day and they felt just amazing. She was internalizing what could have happened. I think like Mm. it was more like almost like she was feeling like it, it did happen to her. There was a big risk and, and we just barely got out of it. But then, but then it says like after a little bit, then she feels, um, the thrill of pleasure remembering what they, you know, how they had actually saved everybody. So I like that, that you, Mm -hmm. she, the author tells us there's, you know, something, you know, Bobby's not feeling great about this. Mm -hmm. And then next chapter, there's a little bit of an answer there. And then, of course, they have to spring right back into action. But one of the things that is interesting about this section is the way that other people are starting to to recognize them and the way for, for the things mm. that they're doing, they're being thanked. And I was thinking about how we don't always know in our lives what's going to happen when something happens to us. So they didn't, at the beginning of the book, all of a sudden, they just got pulled out of their home and thrust into a new place. And they were 
nervous and scared and unsure of what was going to happen. And then if that hadn't happened, though, yeah, they've already saved they've, several lives. They, if that yeah. if that hadn't happened, if you know, which was unfortunate for them, then um, a lot of other sad things would have happened. And it seems like they're starting to realize, you know, maybe they have a place in this community, yeah. which I think is pretty cool. Uh, yeah, I like that. But I do have a question for you. And then I've got two two after that for you. This there's a lot going on here. All so, right, tell okay. me this. So you know how the part where they had the little ceremony to thank them in chapter seven. Yep, and. They kind of push Peter forward and say, hey, you got to give a speech now. Begin with it's my ladies nightmare. and gentlemen. Yeah, yeah. I definitely I, remember reading I, that. Have you ever had to, anything <laughs> like that happen to you? Uh, uh, you, you? Like you had to give a speech or something like that and it was so terrifying. I'm, yes, I'm a very um, anxious public speaker. Mm. I think I'd be good at it if I wasn't so self-conscious. Like actually like conscious of like every single word I'm saying mm. to the point where I'm not even You almost paying. feel like you're outside of your body. Yeah. Yeah. And then and you realize that everyone's looking right at you. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I, I, it's not uncommon. Right, right. Yeah. I'm sure lots of kids like out there that feel that way. Yeah. But like I have a lot to say and I can be funny and but like as soon as I would get up there I would just freeze. <laughs> and then and then it's like a self-fulfilling prophecy. So so when it's like you you're, you're going to look bad because you're thinking about how bad you're going to look and then it's just this cycle. Have you ever had a time when you gave a speech and you felt like or just talked in public and you thought, "Yeah, I pulled that off. That was Not okay." Not really. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you spoke at my wedding. Uh yeah, I blocked that out too. See, was, like, it, well, it was a while ago. I wrote so. that down. You wrote oh, that's true. He yeah. didn't even get to write that down. He yeah. just... But I, it might have been better for him because he wasn't like thinking he'd have to do this. That's true. He wasn't nervous just ahead like, of Come time. on up here. And he That's was like, true. Oh, okay. That's true. Um, I bet kids that are listening either have had to give a presentation at school or church or yeah. done some... You know, if you're if they are in sports or in a play or something like that, they probably had to do something like that. And, and um, they probably understand that feeling. Those, those nerves. Yeah. You're a really good public speaker, though. I well, assume I never listen when you go up on the thing. I just, yeah, you zone never, out, yeah. But, well, I, to be honest with you, I don't know either. Cause I pretty much zone out too, but I, do, I think Robot I don't mode. know why you bring the troll with you every time. Like everybody's well, just going to look at the troll. <gasps> that's why a diversion diversion. It was wow. a, it's a diversion. <laughs> and, and also if you bring a troll with you, people generally respond more favorably to you eh, because they're scared that the troll will hurt them. Got it. Okay. So you break, I, I, in fact, if you have a troll that you can control. Control troll. Control troll. A control. <laughs> <laughs> if you have a control in your life, then I recommend bringing them with you when you have to do public speaking. Now, you said you had a question for me, though. Well, okay. So uh, well, maybe not so much a question. I'm, I'm looking through my book. I write. I'm writing everywhere in this book. Do you write in books? Oh, yes. I write yeah, in books. I know there's a lot of people. There's a lot yes. of different you know, schools of thought on this. Yeah. No, I'm a book. I write in my books. I do too. Lot, I mean, yeah. there's certain books I will never write in. Like, yeah, like a really nice copy really or nice, something. Yeah, yeah. But like, and always in pencil. Right. But, um, so I'm getting a little lost in my own book here, but there's a couple things. Oh, oh, oh. Um, <laughs> Peter makes a pun. Peter makes a pun. Peter, Peter puns. They are washing their muslins. Mm. Uh, and they're talking about, you know, doing them in the sink. Uh, just like a river, uh, but Peter's like this. We can't pretend this is a river. Peter's very, you know, Literal. his imagination has to be in order here. Yeah, yeah. We can't yeah. have this, you know, nonsense happening. Yeah, yeah. So then uh, Peter says it can't be a river. It's hot. They're using hot water. Phyllis says it's a hot river. Then 
lend a hand with the bath. There's a deer. <laughs> and then Peter says, I should like to see a deer lending a hand. <laughs> and then Phyllis says, now scrub and scrub it. She just ignores him. Yeah, she ignores you know, the joke. Proper, Classic older sister. Yeah. But yeah. Peter makes a dad joke hmm. and, and his siblings don't even what acknowledge would you, it, which is probably the, proper. what would you give? What ranking would you, what would you give Peter's ah, dad? It's joke? pretty good. It is a pretty good one. It's quick. It's, it's quick witted. Yeah. Lend a hand deer. I'd like to see, see a deer lending a hand. hand. Yeah, it's a good one. I, 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 maybe a maybe a six. Like I, like I if somebody six if, is a good if one. that happened in conversation with me, I, I would laugh. Yeah, yeah, it'd be a, it'd be off the cuff, natural form of laughter. It'd yeah. be like one kind of laugh, like a. <laughs> hey, good one. Um, well, and then a groan. But yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. And there was one. Can other you do the thing. laugh and then the groan? <laughs> oh. <laughs> Uh. <laughs> i'm very practiced at the groan yeah right well they hang out with me enough and then still where they're washing things um they're talking about getting married in the future and which is and peter's very funny he says i would like to be married someday uh but i'd like to marry a lady who has trances and only wakes up a couple times a year <laughs> i was thinking of, about your wife because she hasn't woken up in 10 years from that fainting spell <laughs> very similar <laughs> <laughs> that's right that's right people who haven't listened to that episode are going to be real confused now yeah but you know you're lost uh so yeah these these ones are making me laugh yeah these are good chapters should we talk what, what else should we talk about in this i've got something okay this is probably the last thing though because we got to get over to jennifer trafton no what well go ahead well no you go ahead first okay so in chapter eight we learn that perks we learn when his birthday is but he doesn't celebrate birthdays. He doesn't celebrate birthdays, but he says it was 32 years ago. <laughs> David, we're older than Perks, the porter. He doesn't. It, it, he seems like he's 60. Yeah, he seems like he's. I didn't like this information. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you didn't know that you seem like you're 62? Uh, and, and there's illustrations in these copies. He does not look like uh, we, we should not be older than Perks. <laughs> I don't like this. Well, every time I watch a movie that takes place like a long time ago. I always think the people looked older earlier. <laughs> no way that guy's 32. Graham just showed me the picture. There's no way. Maybe, maybe the last just time joking. he celebrated his birthday oh, was 32 years ago. Maybe you're right. I, I, maybe I wasn't reading it closely. One enough. of the kids will have to let us know what the... If he's 32, oh my goodness. If he's 32, I'm 34. Um, <laughs> well, okay, my last comment here is... You know the part with the, that we mentioned earlier where the Russian man finds out that his he's going to be able to see his wife and child again. Yeah. He jumps up and he throws his fist in the air and he says huzzah or something like that. And then, yeah. I don't know if he says that, but huzzah is a good word. And then he immediately, the wave of emotion overcomes him and he starts crying and the kids are, you know, sort of taken aback by that. I was thinking about how after that, they start having conversations about how that little baby probably has grown a lot since its dad saw him mm. and then phyllis says do you think that father will recognize me or uh, you know she'll yeah. say do you i do I, you think i will have grown until the end of chapter seven yeah. yeah and so it brings us back to the fact that their father's not there either and that's part of why they're gone and it makes me wonder when we're going to learn where their father is and if he's going to reappear probably that's been hovering the over few, the stories uh, episodes i mean chapters episodes, or do i mean episodes chapters yeah I, i'm excited to find out yeah, uh, yeah. It just kind of further solidifies that there's some connection between the Russian guy and their dad, 
or what's or what's happening to each of them. And it reminds us that there's this mystery at the bottom of the story. It's not just that these kids are, you know, it's not just the episodic part of it, but there's this bigger plot that's happening in the story that involves the father and them being separated. And down the road, that's going to pay off somehow. And we're going to find out what happened to the father. And uh, I can't wait for that. I hope it's going to literally pay off like <laughs> money will come out of the book. Um, That's I've, what I'm going to have never had that happen before, but I will not discount the possibility. Is money also wood? Some of it's like c- copper and nickel and Oh, yeah. I was quarter. thinking paper money. Are quarters made of quarter? Qu- quart- quartzer? Quartz? <laughs> I don't think so. Anyway, we should probably get over to our conversation with Jennifer Trafton. Graham, can you tell us a little bit about who Jennifer Trafton is before we introduce her to the kids? So Jennifer Trafton is the author of The Rise and Fall of Mount Majestic. It's a fun book. And it's a very fun book. Um, And Henry and the Chalk Dragon. Also a fun book. And both of those arose from her lifelong love of art Mm. and her personal quest for the courage to be an artist. Mm. When she's not writing or drawing, she teaches creative writing classes and workshops in a variety of schools, libraries, homeschool groups, as well as online classes to kids all around the world. Hmm. She lives in a 150-year-old farmhouse in Nashville, Tennessee. That sounds cool. I'm assuming, like, running water's been added. Plumbing, yeah. Plumbing. You would think, but I mean, you never know. You never know, yeah. Yeah. Uh, And she lives with her husband, and she has an energetic border collie. A miniature rooster. I want to know how miniature. Me too. Uh, an assortment of chickens and ducks and a ghost who haunts the staircase. I'm is, just reading it. Is that like a... I wonder what would happen if you took our big store troll and her ghost that haunts the staircase and put them in the same room. I think that's... Uh, that's that's fodder. Good word uh, for a new story. Yeah, I think that is. Well, with that, let's get it over to Jennifer Trafton so we can talk about her stories and her art. And we hope you enjoy this interview because we sure did. Jennifer, thank you so, so much for joining us. I know that um, all of the kids who love your books and have sent in questions are going to be thrilled to hear from you and get to know you a little bit. And it is a pleasure and honor for us to get to talk to you. Well, thanks so much for having me. I'm excited to be here. So we have some very important questions some silly questions. Sometimes there's a lot of crossover between those two. And I think you should start with the most important question. The the most important question. Okay. The big one. The big one. And this is a question we ask all of our guests. It seems like one that the kids really cared about when they were sending questions to us. Are you ready for this one? I am ready for this one. Okay. So here's the question. And originally this came from Devin. So we got to keep shouting out Devin for asking such a pointed profound question which do you prefer jennifer trafton cheetos or doritos i don't like either one of them i don't like cheetos or doritos i tend to like i like fritos or mm. uh, so you're, you're not opposed to all snack food though no not just those two in particular i i don't particularly like i know and my my husband thinks i'm crazy because he says cheetos or you know is it the, is it the flavor is it the crunch um, I think it's the flavor. Is it the powder, the residue? <laughs> Definitely the, the, with the Cheetos, the powdery, like fake cheese stuff all over that just kind of coats the inside of your mouth. Don't mm. see, see some would say that's a sign of a good time, though. That's <laughs> <laughs> true. true. I suspect most of the people who listen to this podcast, the core audience would say that's a sign of a good time. I feel like I've just lost our whole audience now. Everybody it's, going, that's a tough one to come back from here. The very first question. I'm so sorry. Okay, well, let's see if you can go back from this. So 
Fritos, <laughs> what are some of your other favorite snack things? Like maybe here's one for you. When you're writing, mm, you know, yeah. Flannery O'Connor famously ate crackers while she was writing. I think saltines or Ritz crackers or something. What's your writing snack? Oh, my writing. Well, I will say my, I love Sour Patch Kids. Mm. Or those, those I think you just came back from. Okay. <laughs> I, that, that is my, my guilty pleasure. If I'm ever in the snack and candy aisle, that's what I want is, the, is a big patch pack of the, the sour. You, you, original? I like the original. I like the watermelon. Ones oh, yeah. Really yeah like the would, you would get along well with my son. Yeah. 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 Right. So th- those are the ones that end up in our shopping basket when I'm not looking. Right. So, yeah. Well, yeah. you take your kids down the candy aisle. That's your first mistake. <laughs> well, I mean, that's inevitable. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I get my share. So no, that's, you know, that's true. That's true. You secretly wanted to go down there for your own sake. So, okay. Are you a coffee or tea person? You know what? I have recently become a coffee person. This is okay. a big change for me because I've, I've loved tea my whole life and I never liked coffee. And for some reason in the last couple of months, I've I, I, my taste buds have, have changed. And now mm. I love having my morning cup, cup of coffee. Just love Black? it. No, I usually have some half and half and a little bit of creamer. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Cake or cookies? Ooh, cake. Okay. The, the, the cookie has to be really chocolatey okay. and, nice and soft, you know, like a really, like a straight out of the oven chocolate chip cookie mm. is the best. But if it's not straight out of the oven, I would prefer cake or brownie. Cool. Brownie is perfect. Okay. We, we, we should not be recording this at lunchtime. I know. I know. Yes. Could we pause? <laughs> okay. Uh, last food related question, at least that I know of. You never know what's going to happen later. Are you overall a sweet or savory person then? Do you prefer one or the other? Sweet. I've got sweet. a sweet. Definitely. Okay. Sweet. Yeah. Okay. Going back and forth between chocolate and cheese though. That's good. <laughs> well, I thought you don't. So you do like cheese. It's not the cheese part of Doritos. And <laughs> Powdery cheese part that I don't like. No, I love okay. cheese. Going back and forth is, is great. That's fair. So you, Graham, you have a very important question for her as well, I, I believe. Yeah, I have a multiple choice question for you. Okay, so for Jennifer Trafton, author of The Rise and Fall of Mount Majestic, if you could visit one of these mountains, one of these four mountains, which would you choose? Does she have to hike them? Or she can just like sit at the base and, and look up? That's a that's a great question. Visit, I don't know. I think well, it's well, well, yeah, we'll talk about that. Okay. Uh, all right. All right. <laughs> Mount Kilimanjaro, Mount Fuji, Mount Everest or Mount Doom. <laughs> I I would go to Mount Doom along with with Frodo and Sam perhaps, but not mm. by myself. Yeah, that uh, seems fair. It's probably wise. I, I yeah, if, if Sam was carrying me Maybe yeah. is this pre is this is this pre Gollum leaving? Or, I mean, where are we with the Gollum situation? Like a tourist site now, go visit Mount Doom. <laughs> yeah. Post. Yeah. yeah. Oh, post yeah. Lord of the Rings, Mount Doom. Yeah, yeah. It might be. Yeah, it might be beautiful. I doubt it. Oh, this is flipped. Well, <laughs> we're getting a little carried yeah, away. Maybe now. you know. Yeah. everywhere. See the sp- see the spot. <laughs> where Gollum fell over. Yeah. <laughs> Gollum's Cliff. So, what of the what about on the other three? Oh my goodness, I'm not sure. I mean, I just I love I love being at the base of the mountain looking up. So as long as I didn't have to climb them, I think any of them. Mm-hmm. Um, oof. Mount Did you have a mount a, a mount in mind as your inspiration when you were working on? Yeah, I have a, I have a question similar to that. Like, uh, so 
I know you spent a lot of time in, in our state, in North Carolina. Yeah. And I was wondering if, if the Appalachians or the Smokies, if you ever spent time there, if any inspiration was coming out of, out of that area. Uh, I do love uh, driving through the Appalachian Mountains um, because I was driving from Kentucky to North Carolina to go back and forth to college. And so I love that drive. But actually, the, the inspiration came from um, England for that particular book. So I was hiking around England when I was in college and um, they just have really beautiful, like these low mountains over there. And there was one particular place that I went um, where they had these, uh, it was earthworks. So they, they they were uh, barracks from, you know, the war many years before that had gotten covered up with grass. And I was walking along these and they just, they didn't look like normal hills. They looked like, to me, they looked like somebody buried underneath the grass. They looked like, you know, like the, an arm or a leg or, you know, mm-hmm. something that had been covered up that we were now walking along and didn't know what was underneath of there. And I, so I wrote that, that down and throughout my journal of those, those travels through England, that, um, that image kept popping up again and again of some of a giant of a person buried underneath this hill that I saw this person that I saw. And so I wrote that down and many years later came back to that notebook and those journals and found that idea of the, of the person buried, buried underneath the ground. Um, the other, when you say what, what mountain do you want to go to? The, the thing that immediately comes to my mind, is not really a mountain, but it's a, a little mountain is um, Skellig Michael off the coast of Ireland. I don't know if you, well, if you've ever seen Star Wars, you know, the most recent Star Wars where Ray goes up to that hill and meets Luke, you know, and gives him the, okay, that's, that was actually filmed on Skelly Michael. Oh yeah. Okay. On that, it's an island. It's an island. Right, yes. Basically a little mountain that you, that you hike up. And that is the other, you know, miniature mountain that has inspired my imagination so much over the years. Cause I visited that on those travels and, um, and I just, I love that place so much. This little, this tiny mountain rising up out of the sea um, mm. with little beehive huts on top. And so I think that that was the other inspiration for my imagination was the, these low uh, mountains in England mm. and the Skellig Michael. That's so yeah. cool. And I bet a lot of people, a lot of people who are listening will have seen that and yes. know, be able to put that together. That's awesome. When I well, visited, it was completely unknown. And now apparently it's, it's just infested with tourists because of the movies. <laughs> yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. <laughs> so um, we've got lots of more questions from kids. But before we do, we've got to tell Jennifer about this week's drawing challenge. Oh, her task. Her task. Yeah. Yeah. Her task. Yes, yes. Graham is the keeper of the task. Oh, so dear. Tell her what her, what her trial is. <laughs> so Jennifer, you have a paper or, or no, you have an iPad to draw on. I, I draw on my iPad, yeah. So as we're discussing, we want you to do a doodle or a masterpiece, you know, whichever you prefer, of a certain thing. Okay. This week, I asked my son, who's a big fan of you in your book, what would be a great thing for you to draw? And so he went to the title, Mount Majestic, and tried mm-hmm. to invert it. And so he said, I think she should draw a trash canyon. <laughs> now I'm not going to make you draw a trash canyon because it feels strange to make somebody draw garbage <laughs> and maybe that's too detailed. So I think Jennifer, we're going to do something unprecedented on the show. What? Really? I think we're going to do a guest's choice. We are wow. not going to dictate anything. 
So you're saying she can literally draw anything she wants. Yeah, it could. I mean, yeah. what if she wants to draw a trash canyon? There, yeah. <laughs> I mean, that, that's a suggestion. That's, that's a big, huge um, ocean of possibilities there. Yes. Uh, you're not going to give me any guidelines whatsoever? You could draw a mountain coming out of an ocean of possibilities. Oh, you could draw an ocean of possibilities. <laughs> <laughs> okay. All right. Is that, I think our suggestions are helpful right now. I think we're really... <laughs> Helping you hone in on something. I see. I just see an Oscar the Grouch <laughs> in, in a very steep, you know, valley. <laughs> this is I just be- thought those words were perfect. Trash Canyon. I, I like, love oh, that. The Trash Canyon. I, see you, I think you found maybe a, a sequel, another book. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well, while you're doing that, we're going to ask you some more questions. So we'll give you a second to think here and <laughs> then dive into, you know, a bunch of bunch of questions that came from our listeners. Many of our listeners are writers themselves. And so, or, you know, aspiring writers, or they're just, just lovers of books. They're well-read. They read a lot, a lot of different kids' books. And so they had some really interesting questions about what you might call process and inspiration and things like that. And one of those very common questions we get is, what books did you enjoy as a child? And what are some of the books that maybe, you know, that are maybe intended for kids of any age, kids of all ages, that still inspire you as you're, as you're writing your stories? So what did you love when you were young? And which of those books still inspire you to this yeah. day? Yeah. Well, I'm actually, I'm sitting in my studio right now. And beside me is a little bookshelf that my uh, grandfather made. And it's full of my, my lifelong favorite books. These are the, the books that... Uh, I, even just looking at them, it reminds me of how much I loved them when I was a kid and uh, that the books that really formed my imagination. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I started to write when I was about 10 years old. I took a creative writing class and the writer that I wanted to be, the, 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 the author that most inspired me at that point was Shel Silverstein. I loved Shel Silverstein. Um, we had discovered him as a family and we read him aloud and loved him. And I just, I, Almost all of my poetry, because that's what I wrote first, uh, almost all of my poetry at age 10 sounded like I was trying to be Shel Silverstein. <laughs> um, and I still love, you know, the, just the, the the goofiness and the wordplay and um, the fact that he can be both silly and and also kind of make you, you know, your heart be a little bit faster or the um, or just, you know, say something really meaningful and sweet in the middle, midst of his silliness. I love that. Uh, I also loved... Uh, the Oz series, The Wizard of Oz. And the, there's an, like 12, 14 books after that by Bob. And I, that, apart from maybe the Narnia series, which was my favorite, favorite series, the Oz series was, it fit my imagination just perfectly. Hmm. Um, the, I loved funny books at that point. And so, so that, you know, it, it was really funny. I also, um, I think that the, what the Oz series taught me was that ordinary things can be magical. That the, the Oz books are just full of all these very, very ordinary things, you know, scarecrows and lunch pails and hmm. you know, brooms and all these things, but they somehow they get, they become magical in these, in these stories. And the main characters are ordinary people who get swept up into a magical adventure. Hmm. And, um, and that ever since then, that's been my favorite kind of story and still is today. This, the kind of story where an ordinary person, not somebody with magical powers or anything gets swept up into an extraordinary adventure and, and gets swept into a magical world. Um, 
or a, a book set in the real world where ordinary things have a, have uh, are shown to be more marvelous and, and magical than we typically think. So I tend to gravitate towards those kinds of stories. And the Oz books were really the epitome of that for me. Books like, well, the, the Wrinkle in Time series were like that for me. E.B. White, the, the Trumpet of the Swan, which I love equally with, with Charlotte's Web. Um, the Velveteen Rabbit. I'm looking at, at the, my shelf right now, what are some of, some of the other books on there? I loved the Anne of Green Gables series. Mm. Um, that was one of my favorites, which is not fantasy or magical at all. And yet, you know, Anne has this vision of the, the world around her that is so beautiful. And so that, that mm. the ordinary world has a, a beauty and a magic to it, even in those books. How often do you find yourself revisiting these, these books? I do uh, quite often. When I, my, my studio, my writing room is full of the things that I loved and inspired me as a child. So I have my, my books, I have my um, some of my dolls and, and stuffed animals. I um, actually, my computer right now is sitting on top of my strawberry shortcake lunchbox from second grade. And so I will go back. I, I, I want to remind myself of who I was when I was seven, eight, nine years old and find that Jennifer again, because she gets buried underneath, you know, grown up Jennifer a lot. And so rereading even parts of those books is something that is really important to getting my imagination back in that place again. Mm. rereading even just going back and you know rereading a couple of pages of one of those books that I loved um, helps to put my my brain back into that space again the Wizard of Oz series that's a very that's a very interesting suggestion or or you know book series like I, I don't think a lot of people realize there's more than one let alone almost a dozen or more yeah. Let alone one, because a lot of people just think of the movie. Oh, that's true. I remember having a graphic novel of one of the later ones. So maybe it was only the second or third one. Uh-huh. And that was one of my very first, most frightening memories <laughs> <laughs> was going through that book. Uh, uh, some of those characters are, are pretty out there. Do you, think the, do you think the movie lives up to it? I mean, the movie is just its own thing. It's, yeah. it's yeah. completely different. Um, you know, and I grew up loving that movie. Mm-hmm. I don't know which I, I think I've probably saw the movie before I discovered the books, but the books just have a completely different feel to them. And, and of course that, that it goes far beyond Dorothy and, you know, the scarecrow, the scarecrow becomes, you know, and the Tin Man, they become characters in the series and have many more adventures. And I, I loved some of the later books even more than the, the Wizard of Oz. Mm. So in the rise and fall, mm-hmm. Majestic, we've got Persimony Smudge. We've mm-hmm. got Warvel, the Warrior. Yes. We've got Rumple Bumps. Um, we get we get questions here about how you come up with characters, mm-hmm. um, and also your character names um, are so wonderful. I wonder if you could speak to that as well. Um, I well, I love I love names. You know, I love Charles Dickens, and mm-hmm. uh, you know, he he's like the the best um, creed creator of, of interesting memorable characters that you know I, I know and um, and so a lot of my inspiration for for characters has come from the way that he you know he develops characters um, sometimes my characters are are based on a quality or characteristic of somebody from real life including myself that's just blown out of proportion a little bit and, you know so I like to take one particular quality and just exaggerate it to the point of, you know, sometimes being a little bit ridiculous. Uh, so for example, 
Warvel is based upon my own propensity to worry way too much. And so Warvel as a character is my way of laughing at this quality in myself, of taking it to its ridiculous extremes, <laughs> you know, pushing it to over the edge so that it's, it's, it's funny, um, but it also kind of takes that quality and like puts it under a microscope and lets me really explore what does it mean to worry mm. way too much. Um, to take a, an even sillier example, the, the page in that book who has a cold and who is the substitute trumpeter, because he he blows his nose and it sounds like trumpeting. Um, that was just me taking this this really funny characteristic of my brother. And my brother is famous in our family for being the loudest nose blower you've <laughs> heard. Like you can, it it just like it makes the the house shake. And when he's blowing <laughs> his nose, it really does sound like a trumpeting that echoes throughout the house. And this was just an inside family joke. And so I just took that one little characteristic of my brother and and made a whole character out of him. Um, so often, you know, that's what I'm doing is taking you know taking something funny, often about myself or something that I want to explore little bit more and then just kind of building a character around that particular mm. quality. Um, and as far as names go, I love playing with just the sounds of letters and the sounds of, of names until I find one that just perfectly fits the personality of the character. And that's what Dickens does brilliantly. Scrooge, you know, the Scrooge can only be one sort of a personality. Um, have you seen this? There's a movie about the man who invented Christmas. It's about Charles Dickens. Oh yeah. I haven't seen that. I've heard about it. That's a newer movie, right? Yeah. And it's, it's, it's about Dickens uh, writing the Christmas Carol, but there's a scene in there where he's coming up with the name Scrooge. That is just perfect. Um, it's exactly how I come up with names and he's just, he's pacing his you know writing room back and forth, just he, you know, playing with the sounds of letters in his mouth, and he's, you can see him pacing and just trying things out in his mouth. <laughs> and finally, he just comes out with Scrooge, and instantly the character of Scrooge, Scrooge appears before him in the writing room. And it was just a perfect depiction of, I think, how, at least for me as a writer, how that works. It's like when you, you're just kind of playing with, with, with names until you find the perfect one. And as soon as you find the name, that character just is suddenly materializes mm. before. You. It's like, yes, that's it. That's the character. Um, in some cases, it's taken me a while to find a character's name. Persimony was, uh, I didn't know her name for a long time. Um, and I, I knew there was a character, um, you know, who was going to be at the center of the story. Uh, and I tried a lot of different, words out in my mouth. Um, and I came up with this, you know, the, the persimony with, uh, by putting together the persimmon fruit with, you know, a Y at the end. And a persimmon fruit is very sweet on the inside, but a little, you know, bitter on the outside. And I thought that was a good de description of this, the personality of this character that I wanted. And as soon as she had that name, then suddenly her character um, was really more fleshed out in my imagination. I knew who she was. Um, I keep I keep uh, a baby name book nearby. I love to to play with the the meanings of words and the meanings of names. Uh, again, it's just it's finding that perfect name that that matches the the personality of the character. Yeah. So so far, you've talked about two different ways that ideas happen for you. One, you mentioned that you had been in England and you wrote down this 
this idea of a person being buried under a mountain or something like that. You put it in a notebook and then years later you came back to it and it became something, you know, more fleshed out. Now you're talking about the idea of characters materializing in, in front of you. So for you is those are both the same book, right? That was, yeah, those are both Mount Majestic, I think. Mount Majestic, yeah. So do you, do you, um, did you take that idea of the person buried under the mountain and then run with that and go to the character next? Or did you start with the character and then you were thinking, I have this character, I need the story for it. How does, where do you start with typically? Is there any rhyme or reason for that process? Yeah, it's been different for every book. With um, with the rise and fall of Mount Majestic, um, it began with a situation, you know, in my head. And it was a, 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 a giant buried underneath this mountain and the town and the, you know, whatever had grown up around him, not knowing he was there. Um, with the second book, Henry and the Chalk Dragon, it began with the character of Henry, this, um, this boy who had a wild imagination like mine and who dreamed that he was a knight and whose um, imagination came to life. And so like, it was, it was really this character that started it for me. And I, I built the story around the character um, with the book that I'm working on right now, it's a place. The setting has come first. Um, it's a, pr- a particular uh, place that I lived and that I loved and um, still love and that has felt magical to me. And, and I, you know, I, I watched a group of kids grow up in this place and I wanted to write about the place and a particular mm-hmm. thing in this place, um, this magical thing that ha- that is there. And so each book has been different in terms of the spark that began the whole thing. Um, with Mount Majestic, I, it, as I said, I began with a situation in mind. Um, I sat down one day and just began writing um, about a girl who lost her hat in the woods. And I didn't even know how that was going to connect with the situation. I didn't know whether she was going to find her way underneath the mountain, how she was going to find out about the, the, the giant or what. I just simply started to follow this, this girl and see where she went. Hmm. Yeah. So it's a process of discovery. Is it? Yeah. Yeah. And so if I start with the situation, you know, uh, it's like, what is, what's needed, what sort of characters are needed to make the situation really funny or explode and, and, and or be interesting. So you don't necessarily have to know where the story's going no. to just keep on writing. No, and I didn't, uh, didn't at all with the giant. So do you, did you take it then and then plot out the whole story? <sighs> um. I was working from both ends at once. So I, so I, I knew that the end of the story, you know, would have certain things in it. I, I had the beginning of this girl getting lost in the woods. And, um, and then it's just a matter of like writing that first draft towards this, uh, something I know probably will happen, happen at the end and just seeing what, what, what comes of that. Um, I go through seven or eight drafts for a book and it, Hmm. it, the story changes drastically over the course of that time. So in the first draft, I really don't know where I'm going. I'm just, I'm just getting stuff out there, mm-hmm. writing scenes, writing conversations, not really knowing how it's going to correct to connect, you know, at the end. Um, at some point in the middle, uh, during the revision process, I outline. So I don't begin mm-hmm. with outline at the, be- you know, at, at, right at the beginning, but I, once I've got enough there into my first drafts, I, I start to work out an outline 
uh, how do I, how am I going to get from here to there? I start to think about the overall, the arc of the story and, and what the, what the climax is going to be. And I think about the decisions that the main character is making along the way, because the, the choices of the main character are what drive the story. And so for Mount Majestic, I, I, I made a whole like visual chart of like every, every, conflict and choice that Persimone was going to have to face over the course of that story and how each choice was driving that plot along. Hmm. Um, but that's one of the revision process for me. When I'm writing a first draft, I really have no idea where I'm going. I have some ideas. I have some, usually an image of kind of where I want to end the book. I know where I'm heading, but I have no idea how to get there. And so hmm. I'm just dumping, I'm just dumping stuff into a pile knowing that later on I'm going to make that pile into something that makes sense. And that's, that's something interesting. Is that process, is that, does that fuel you? Does that excite you or is it frustrating or does it depend on the day? Sounds terrifying. (laughs) First draft, I don't like first drafts. I love revision. First draft is really hard. Um, Sitting there at a, you know, the the blank page of the blank computer screen and not knowing what to, what to write um, and just knowing I just need to fill it up with words. That is terrifying and that is very difficult. And that's where I have to, you know, make myself sit down and just try to write a thousand words every day, even if it's terrible. And sometimes that's where it's the brownies come in. Like right today. Yes. Yeah, so sometimes my a thousand words are, are like, this is terrible. I don't know what to write. I think this is going to happen, but I'm not sure. You know, I'll literally write those things <laughs> just to get something down on yeah screen just to have something to work with but the fun of writing for me comes later in the subsequent drafts um revision is where the fun is because revision is where you've got um, i i think that shannon hale uh, a young adult yeah. author said that the first draft is like p- putting sand into the sandbox knowing you're going to make castles out of it later and i love oh. that because that's literally what it feels like to me is just dumping sand into the sandbox in the first draft, but then the revision process, which can be, you know, seven or eight drafts of that is making the sandcastles. Like, what do I, what do I have here? Who is this character? What is, what do I need? What, 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 what is, what is the story I'm trying to tell? And then making that sandcastle. Um, the first draft usually has very little um, to do with the last draft. If you read, read my first draft about Majestic, you know, it's like, it doesn't even have Simeon Smudge in it who's the father, who's, you know, who's missing, who's driving the whole story. He wasn't even in the first draft. Mm. Now that, that came much later where I discovered him. How long did that whole process take? So you write the first drafts mm-hmm. and then by the time, I mean, not by the time it gets published per se, but by the time you feel like you're to the draft where you have the story that you, yes. that you feel like is what it's going to become. Years. Cause I'm, I'm a really, really slow writer. <laughs> um, but the first draft will, I mean, that can be done in a couple of months. But in each, in each case, with, the, with each of my books, it's been a process of years working on a revision, putting it aside, um, giving it to people to read it, who will come back to me and give me good critique, um, rewriting it again. I think that it was a process of about maybe about two years for Mount Majestic. Um, Chalk Dragon... That went through so many different revisions and so many different um, uh, changes before it finally got published. The, what, the, the novel that I'm working on now, I've tried to write and then put it aside and then tried to write it again for four or five years. 
Um, so I'm working on other things in the middle of that time. I'm not somebody who, who comes out with a book a year. I'm not yeah. <laughs> so do you, so one thing I'm really interested in is sort of like the creative process of getting your head in that space, like yeah. in the creative headspace. You obviously do other um, kind of art as well. Speaking of which, how is your drawing going? Oh goodness. I told you I can't multitask. <laughs> like, this is why I can't even talk while I'm driving because I, I can either talk, you know, or I can drive. But if I try to do both, I'll end up. Well, how are you have, drawing and driving at the same time? No, definitely not good. I have, <laughs> I have a, a, a very, 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 very rough um, doodle at the moment, but it hasn't really gone anywhere interesting yet. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So one thing I'm interested in is how people carve out like how they create the space to work do you are you someone who even when you're not working committedly on a specific project such as the book you're working on now or when you are working on Mount Majestic are sit down every day and write 500 words or a thousand words or do you go you know you might go months without really doing much creative writing but you are kind of letting things just kind of float around your head and then once it's time to write then you dive in wholeheartedly so are you or are you somewhere in between those two scenarios. Yeah, it's been different. I have a lot of other things going on in my life other than writing. And so um, usually if I'm writing, if I'm working on a first draft, then I need to be sitting down every morning and, you know, getting a thousand words written of that every day. So I, I set aside a, you know, a chunk of a couple of months where I'm really, really trying to stay in, at least keep in the headspace of that book every day, even if, if I, if, if I write something or if I at least go back and reread what I've written, if I get out of that headspace, then, you know, I, I never get that done. Um, but I've, you know, I've taught creative writing over the years. I've done editing. I do, I do speaking and, um, various work for the rabbit room. Um, I do visual art and illustration. So I'm, I, there's always a bunch of different projects on my plate and I'm revolving between them usually. Um, so once the first draft is written, I might be switching to something else for a while, but letting that story percolate in the back of my head as I'm doing other things. Um, so the, the current book that I'm writing, I, you know, wrote a rough draft last year, um, but then I've switched gears to other projects in the meantime, but that book's still in my head and that book is still, you know, cooking and, um, I will occasionally go back to it and, and, and reread stuff and add some more ideas, um, but pretty soon I'm going to be shifting back to like really focusing on that book for, for a period of revision mm. in which I need to, to, for that to be front and center for a while. And again, getting my head in that every day to work on a, on a rough draft, on a second draft. Do you think we should ask her to, uh, you know, for any reveals about this new book? I yeah. Mean, usually, it feels like you're teasing this and we oh, would like to break some news. Usually here our this. last question is kind of what, what's coming next? What's, what's up? But, you know, you, yeah, you've, you've like, brought it upon yourself. Let's be honest. Oh, well, I, um, we, I don't know how to, to lead into this, but the, I, as I said, it, it's a, it's based on a particular place. Um, it's a, it's a, a place where I lived for four years and where we still, um, uh, go there regularly. And there's a particular group of kids who the white house in this place. Yeah. <laughs> it's, 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 it's not any particular magical place. It's a, 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 a wood with, um, with a hill and a house and something magical within that wood. Mm. Um, and it's based on a very, very specific thing that I saw and took a picture of when I lived there. 
and it no longer exists, but it, I still have the picture. And I really, I, I love this place and I wanted to honor the group of kids who grew up here and the childhood that they spent here and the imagination uh, that filled that particular place um, with magic of their own. And so the, the characters are loosely based upon my nephews and niece and their friends who grew up in this place. And the setting is very, very closely based upon this particular house in Hill and Wood and the thing that I saw there. Um, and after that, and there's also, I think, a dog that uh, based upon um, their dog. And so that's about all I can say at this point. I don't want to give any other spoilers, um, but it's, it's proceeded very differently from my other books because it is based upon a more of a real life situation. Mm. Uh, but of course, there will be magical fantastical things that happen um, within that particular real life place. So that, that, that's talking very vague. I'm sorry if you wanted more specifics than that. But. I think that was a great answer. Okay. <laughs> I think that, that gets, I mean, I'm excited for this work and you gave me very little detail. So okay. great job. <laughs> Can you give us a character name? There may or may not be a ghost. Um, I was going to say, this is oh, a haunted house, right? Oh no! It, 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 that is definitely part of it. The, the, the question of whether or not whether or not this house in this place is haunted is a, mm. is a question in the book. Yes. I'm going to read this book. Wonderful. Can you give us a character's name? Isabella Crumpet. Yeah, good one. That's straight out. It sounds like a straight out of Dickens. <laughs> we're doing. We have a podcast that we do for for a lot of our listeners' parents that they listen to, and we're talking through Jane Eyre right now, very slowly, and. Karen Swallow Pryor, I don't know if you know who she is. She's on the show with us. And she talks about how Mr. Brocklehurst is like this classic name. It sounds exactly like the kind of person that he is. (laughs) Just kind of mean and crotchety. Brocklehurst. I love that. I love that. We have just a couple more questions for you. You got time? Yes. I'm trying to doodle at the same time. As I said, I'm not very good at doing two things at once, but go ahead. Uh, So Jennifer, uh, as an artist... Mm-hmm. Um, does that impact your writing at all? And also kind of tied to that, did you discover art first, drawing first, or words came first? Did one come easier than the other? I, I've always loved drawing. I, I, I definitely have been drawing longer than I've been writing, as most people have, because um, you know I, I started drawing as soon as I could pick up a crayon. Um, when I was growing up, what I really wanted to do was to be an artist. And I wanted, my first dreams of being a published author were about picture books. And, and I wanted to, to write and illustrate picture books um, long before I wanted to write novels. And um, when I was, I think, 13, 14, I wrote and illustrated my own picture book and I started to send it out to publishers, you know, as a teenager. So that was my first attempt to get published. I'm very glad it didn't get published. Um, <laughs> what I, what I, what I did back then. Um, but, uh, those two things have always fueled each other for me. And so right now I've got my novel that I'm working on, but I'm actually illustrating a book right now as well that a friend is writing. Mm-hmm. And so those are my two main creative projects that I've got other projects as well that I'm doing for other people, but these are mine, my two. And they, they are wonderfully complimentary to me because, you know, I, I can't write all the time. I've got to let my, let, let things sit and cook in my brain. Um, but while I'm 
drawing, that's when my brain can be kind of, you know, noodling on other things in the background. And drawing is very therapeutic. Writing is very hard for me, but drawing is, um, drawing brings me great rest inside when I, when I can do that for a full day. And so I feel like they, they, each one gives me the energy to do the other thing. Does that make sense? Yeah, they, co- they kind of complement each other. They really do. I love, having to, I love having a writing project and an art project going on at the same time. And you, so, and you should do neither of them while driving. Right. <laughs> Just say that again. Yeah, right. So this is interesting to me because you've said a couple of times how hard writing is, and this is not something that's uncommon. Yeah. Even the most successful writers often say it, how difficult it is. Yeah. Um, and as someone who likes to write myself, I find it both very draining and hard and also life-giving. So the question I have is, why do you write if you find it so hard? Especially mm-hmm. since you have this other art that inspires you. I mean, maybe writing inspires you too. You haven't said it doesn't, but that you said is gives you great peace or something like that. You know, at the end of the day, you feel great. Whereas at the end of the day of writing, you probably feel a little more drained. So why do you do this thing that's very hard? I imagine a lot of kids are listening. Well, she says she doesn't even like it. Why does she do it then? I do. I don't. Well, you didn't it, say you didn't like it, actually. I didn't. I did say I didn't like when it. When it's going really well, it's the best feeling in the world. You know, when you are, um, you know, completely full of a story, and it's just it's like going through your imagination all day, and um, and you're finally able to write the scene or write the sentence that's exactly what you mean to say. It's the best feeling in the world. A lot of writing is is just putting stuff out there that's not necessarily good yet. And that's frustrating, but I keep on, let's just say, say this, there are, there are some things in your imagination that can come out as pictures and there are some things that can only come out as stories and that can only come out as poems. And so, you know, if I say, well, writing is too hard, I'm, I'm just not going to do that anymore. Then there are these things in my imagination that are just sitting there, unable to come out and unable to see the light of day, unable to, to give to anybody else. The only way this can come out of me is as a story. And if I love it enough, it's, if it excites me, if it, if it gives me joy inside of my imagination, um, why wouldn't I want to give that to somebody else? You know, why would I want to somehow be able to put that into a form that um, I can give to people, even if it's just to one person, you know, maybe it's not going to be published. Maybe it's just a gift for one person, this particular story or poem or, or thing that's in my head. So, um, you know, I, yes, I could go the rest of my life without, you know, without writing those stories that are in my head, but as the people who love me keep reminding me, you know, that would be a very sad thing for this particular character or story or image that's in you to never be able to be given to anyone else. Mm. So I have people who, who love me, who remind me of that regularly. And there are enough moments where it is joy giving and life giving that I want to keep doing it. Even though it's hard. So I know Graham's got one more question for you, but I'm curious, are you a morning writer, a night writer? When you've got this, when mm-hmm. writing is most difficult, when yeah. do you typically do it? In the mornings. Um, I typically need big blocks of time, uh, not just over the course of one day, but, you know, many days. Like I, I'm trying to do, uh, you know, studio time right now where I have three days of the week where I just work on my own stuff. Um but about mid-morning, if I've taken a walk first, if I've had my coffee, if I've, you know, d- listened to music, um, about mid-morning, I could settle down in my studio and really get a few 
thousand words written, then, then that's a good morning. And then I've won the day. If by yeah. lunchtime I've gotten my writing done, um, then I can just, you know, enjoy the rest of my day because I know I got the hard thing done. And go draw. <laughs> and go draw. Do you have any particular advice for young writers? Um, I mean, it's my advice is is so boring because it's like everybody else's advice. But but reading is the absolute best thing you could possibly do right now to become a better writer. Um, to read and read and read and read and read. Uh, read all re- read the stuff that you love, but read you know read stuff that you wouldn't normally pick up. Um, but especially find those find those authors that um, are your your mentors, your teachers, your friends. So for me, it was E.B. White and Frank Baum and Lewis Carroll, Shel Silverstein, um, those writers that I kept coming back to again and again and again because they did something that I wanted to do. And I just kept going back and soaking in them. And I still soak in those, mm. um, those same books and those same authors. You find your little, your little group of, of, of author friends who are going to follow you throughout your life and, um, and teach you the things that, you know, that are going to make you a better person and a better writer. Um, every, everybody's little group of writer friends is different. You know, for some people it's, it's, uh, you know, completely different set of authors than mine, but my group of author friends are the, the authors who, do, who have really made me into the person and the writer that, that I am today. And so find that, find that and just keep soaking. It's okay to keep rereading your favorite books again and again and again and again and again. That's great. Hmm. I think it's time for the uh, the word of the week. I think, I think we've come to that time. But first, can you can you give us a, an update on on the doodle? Well, I I do have a a sort of a picture. She's, she's putting <laughs> some finishing touches. She's this I, for those who are just you know listening. There we go. <laughs> <laughs> it's pretty rough, but that's that's pretty great. That's pretty great. So, can you just can you can you describe it for our listeners? We, we'll post well, it if if you'd be willing to send it to us. We'd like to post it online well, along with the episode. But there's an ocean of possibility and an island um, with a gigantic trash can trash canyon on top of it, and somebody is hiking <laughs> top of the trash canyon. <laughs> oh, Do you, if you're hiking up a up a trash canyon. It's not really, so it's more of a trash mountain. I assume that eventually he'll get to the other side and go inside the trash canyon. So you can't actually see the inside, but. I I would love to know what's going on inside the person who is ascending the high point of a trash canyon. Like just (laughs) what are they feeling in that moment? Especially if they're the first one to ever do it. That's true. That's true. Talk about, you know, being an explorer. Yes. Yes. Well, we have come to the point in the episode where we conclude our, our interview with the author with our word of the week. And of course we get our word of the week from the from, machine, from the machine, the word of the week printer, printer uh-huh. machine, whatever. Right. We, we need to come up with an official name for this machine. Now we've had trouble with previous. We've iterations. had lots of trouble. So I went ahead and discarded. Oh, you got rid of the, original. I got rid of the, the previous machine. It was giving us too much trouble. I put it in the trash Canyon. <laughs> Nice. Went out, Smart. you know, got the old credit card out. Brand new machine. Is it here? Yeah. Uh, you you I got the it. machine. I bought a new machine. Yeah, I bought. All right, hold on. You brought a new machine. You bought a new machine, but you didn't bring the new machine. I'll find it. 
Okay, and we're back. You okay? So Graham, I left it on the I left it on my the hood of my car. On the hood of your car. So it's a little. It fell off. It's a little bit banged up, but but we test it. We think it still works. So moment of truth, Graham. Can you can you produce the word of the week for us? All right. So this word of the week, I believe this word of the week to be perfectly in keeping with Jennifer Trafton's name crafting the, the names of her characters. I'm nervous because in a way it turns out this word actually could just be the name of a character from one of her books. Here, here's the word of the week. Are, are we ready? Mm-hmm. The word of the week is teradiddle. Paradiddle? Teradiddle. T-A-R-A-D-I-D-D-L-E. You now have a few minutes to write down what you think the definition of this word is, and we will reconvene shortly to compare notes. Okay, and we are back. We have both carefully, we have all carefully thought about, thought about what we think the definition to this word teradiddle is. And if I can, you know, maybe throw teradiddle in the, you know, out there as a potential character name one day, Ooh. you know, we'll just leave that there. Oh, that's good. Um, Graham, why don't you go first? So we all, we all can recognize a snow angel, right? When we go out and we see that, that distinctive mark in the snow that a child or an adult. Well, I mean, if you've seen a snow angel, then you can identify it, yeah. True. But what if you saw it in the dirt or the mud or the sand or the grass? Who left all these teradiddles? <laughs> <laughs> so it's an it's a, it's a angel in the ground. Not literally, it's the imprint oh, hey, of that's an angel. A, that's a plot of a book right there. <laughs> it's an imprint of an angel-like figure left by a child in the ground in some surface. On the earth. On the, on the, okay, on the earth. All right. Uh, I will go next. I believe that a teradiddle is a verb that means to explore a valley or canyon, such as a trash canyon, perhaps, while humming or singing a pleasant tune. That's a teradiddle. That's pretty good. I think that's what that is. Nobody said mine was good, but I think yours is pretty good. <laughs> we, thought yours was, we thought yours was good. Thank you. Ish. Mm. All right, Jennifer. Mm. You have the honor of being the last... In keeping with the, the, the trumpeting sneezing of my, my brother, I think a teradiddle is the faint squidgy dot your pencil makes on the paper when you've dropped it during a particularly violent sneeze. It's like the teradiddle. Can you say that again? <laughs> the faint squidgy dot that your pencil makes on the paper after you've dropped it during a particularly violent sneeze. That's so good. I, don't, I think we should just not reveal the real definition and just say that <laughs> hereafter and forevermore that that is the definition of teradiddle yes you sneeze, um, yeah. let's just say that that is the definition hereafter and forevermore but we should probably still reveal what the definition has been up to this moment mm-hmm. yeah i'm really curious i've never heard this word before so the origins of the word teradiddle are unknown but it is a word that has been in use for hundreds of years uh dating back to the 1700s and has actually even been used by jk rowling in the novel Harry Potter and the Order of the Phoenix. So there might be people out there who have heard this word used. And it is a word that means a small or petty lie or pretentious nonsense. Teradiddle. Teradiddle. Pretentious nonsense or a small or petty lie. Small That's what that word means. So That's a new one for me. Yeah. One of the great things that I love about reading is when you come across words 
that are new. So we always like to, you know, talk about words we've never heard of here on the show. So congratulations to the word printer for printing out a, an interesting one. Yeah. Wonderful job. Tara did good job printer. <laughs> so Jennifer, you've got to work that into your next book. Yep. Okay. A, a pretentious character named Tara Diddle. <laughs> All right. I'm working it into my sketch as well. Oh, perfect. Oh, well now we need to see the, we need to see Tara Diddle right. in the sketch. If, if you're okay with it, we'd love to share yeah. this with our listeners, this image, if you'd be willing to send it from your iPad to, to us. I will, I will do that. Whenever will... you feel like it's sufficiently finished. <laughs> I'm just gonna, yeah, I'm just gonna let it be the rough. Um, uh, yes. Tara Diddle-ish, uh, doodle that it is <laughs> Tara diddle I like that um yeah this is fun yeah Jennifer thank you so much for for joining us it's been a pleasure and uh we very much look forward to reading this new book that you're working on so good luck with that thank you so much bye-bye guys bye. thanks goodbye it's riddle time that's right it's time for a riddle it's time for an answer and another riddle that's right so it's your turn to give a new riddle but it's my turn to recap my riddle from last week. And we're going to figure out if any kids got this right. So this was the riddle from last week. You might recall. There's a bus driver who one day is going down the street. He goes through two stop signs or a stop sign. Can't remember how many there were, there were in the original <laughs> there telling. Three. three stop signs. And he runs a red light. And he spends his time, most of that time, on his phone as well. And yet he doesn't do anything illegal. How is this possible, Graham? This is possible because the bus driver is not currently driving his bus. That's right. He is a pedestrian. He's walking. He's walking. Right. No, you probably he could sh- be skateboarding. Or somebody wrote in and said uh, as one of the answers that he was in another bus, like like as a passenger. Oh, that's. But not I bad. don't know if that still count. Like. He, I guess he's not breaking the traffic laws, but the current bus yeah, driver is. That's true. If he's, if, he's, if he's busting through stop signs and red lights, even as a passenger, then... I think we should include it in the right answer. That's fine. We'll yeah, include okay. that. The point is he's not being doing he's the driving. driving. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So uh, um, tricky congratulations to everyone who got that one right. I think we got a handful of answers who did, and we're yeah. going to choose one of you to, to be the winner. So we I will get we in got touch a, with you. I think we got about 20 right answers on that Nice. One. Good job, guys. Okay, Graham. This week's riddle of the week is... Okay. Picture this. Okay, I'm picturing it. Okay, I'm going to move away from towns for this one. <laughs> okay. All right, I've expanded my repertoire. A I'll man, believe it when I hear it. A man walking along a river notices his dog on the opposite side of the river. Okay. This is not what he wants. He, he wants his okay. dog Naturally He wants his dog over here I guess the other side of the river Maybe not a great place <laughs> Well you know You, you want to keep, keep your dogs over close there. Yeah you got to keep them close So And your enemy's closer So uh, He calls the dog Okay Over The dog crosses the river Without getting wet Without using a bridge Without using a boat How is this possible? Okay So the dog crosses the river mm-hmm. To get over to its master Without getting wet. Yeah. Without using a bridge. Yeah. And without using a boat. Yeah. How is this possible? Or a raft, you know, none of yeah, that. Right, right, right. No yeah. accoutrement. Right. No water based forms of transportation. The dog's not building a raft. The, no. the dog's not right. hailing a barge. Okay. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> right. right. Okay. All right. This is a cool one. All yeah, right. I like this. All right. 
So if you think you know the answer to this week's riddle of the week, then you can email us at podcast at goldberrybooks.com. Well, it's actually podcast at goldberrystudios.com. No, it's not. Isn't it? What no. did you say? You said, didn't we say studios earlier? No. Okay, do it again. <laughs> I thought you said studios earlier. It's podcast at goldberrybooks.com. Okay. Is the email address. The Instagram is goldberry underscore studios. Oh, okay. That's why I'm confused. Also, I'm just not very smart and I get lost in the middle of midst of things. Yeah. So, okay. So if you think you know the answer, you can send it to podcast at goldberrybooks.com. If you want to see any of the illustrations, either by Jennifer Trafton or that were submitted by some of our listeners, then you head over to Goldberry underscore studios to check out the Instagram page. Mm -hmm. Graham, this has been a great episode, at least in my opinion. Do you have any final thoughts for the kids before we depart for this week? Well, I heard, I don't know, I'm not even sure if I should say this, but we can cut it out if I shouldn't. We might be getting a sponsor for the podcast and probably all due to the fake ad readings probably from last time probably yeah we're, we're talking with people yeah we're, we're, we're ha- talking with we're people. having conversations yeah well the troll is representing us right right <laughs> he's getting things done <laughs> right right <laughs> look when your regular old means of communication are not convincing people send in a control very good yeah okay final thoughts I can't stress this enough. We love hearing from you guys. Yes. So with those emails, um, if you guys are going to do drawings of the machine, it's it's awesome. We're, we're excited to see them. We want to post them. Makes our day. Yeah, it's it's really cool. And we try to answer every single email. So if you're not emailing because um, you're like, well, I'm just going to send this out to nowhere and hear no response. Not true. We have a get back to you. control to respond to them yeah well no he stands beside us and makes sure right he makes sure we get our work done and all we that. get yeah. we yeah. yeah that's right when he hears the email notification he runs up the stairs grabs us by the ankle and pulls us down to the basement right. until we have responded to yeah. him, for example yeah. yeah well with that as our final thought graham this has been a great time thanks so much to jennifer trafton for coming on Thanks, of course, to Logan Green for doing our post-production. And, of course, as always, thanks to everyone who has been listening and offering some feedback. And thanks to us. Well, thank, thanks to me. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> for Grand Pittman, I'm David Kern. Until next time, happy reading. Happy reading.